Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. I'm pretty excited about today's guest. And yes, I say that all the time. So if you're binge listening to these episodes, that's a repeat for me. Um, but I found uh, her, her through a reference from a friend of mine who referred a book that she wrote back in, I believe it was 2010. Um, called the ADHD effect on marriage. And he had had it referred to him by a therapist when he was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 47. And uh, it was a fascinating topic. It, it, it helped highlight a lot of features for me um, in terms of when I noticed people around me that had been diagnosed with ADHD, uh, you know, you just see the world a lot differently through this. Um, Melissa Orlov is a marriage consultant and a top expert in how ADHD actually affects our relationships. And this book is an award-winning book. Um, she's been writing and speaking on this topic since 2007, but she's been digging into it since 2005. And we'll hear a little bit about what got her into this. Um, she teaches couples and therapists, counselors and coaches about how ADHD actually impacts that relationship connection and offers lots of private consulting in seminars. And we'll talk about that at the end here on, on more of the stuff that she does there. Um, so we're talking today a bit about her book, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, um, which was the best psychological book of 2010. And her latest book that was actually out in 2014 won a bunch of other awards. And it's called The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD with uh, Nancy Kohlenberger. Um, and so I'm very excited, Melissa, to have you on the show. And so welcome to One Broken Thank Mom. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm delighted to be here talking to you. Cool. And it's, um, it's early for me, but not for her, <laughs> not as much. Um, and, uh, and so again, I appreciate that as well when I can get people that are willing to do some morning interviews with me. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, listen to this actually on Sundays is what I've discovered. I release these on Sunday mornings. And so I feel like, you know, people are just grabbing their coffee and they're going to hunker down and and hear this conversation. Um, like I said, you know, I found you because a friend had uh, been diagnosed and his story really in a nutshell uh, was that his son was diagnosed with ADHD, um, was a teenager, and they were, um, him and his, and his son's mother were informed that ADHD can actually be genetic. It actually runs in families. And that was surprising for him and um, his son's mom. And, but when they sat there and looked at each other, they both realized that if it was coming from somebody in the branch of the family tree, it was probably him. And so he followed up on all of that and indeed had actually received the, a similar diagnosis. And it changed his life because he thought for many years what he was struggling with was actually something more akin to anxiety and not realizing that um, 
he had been working with, you know, the brain, the dopamine seeking brain, that is an ADHD brain. And so I'd like for you to, to describe and talk about ADHD, because some of us Gen Xers, you know, I remember hearing about it as ADD, attention deficit disorder. Yeah. Then an H got added into the mix. Um, but a lot of people think that it means one thing, which is the kid who sit, couldn't sit still in class and was all fidgety and bouncy around. But it's, you know, once you learn about it, it's way more complex than that. Yeah, so, it is a lot more. Yeah. Well, and, and the way your friend got diagnosed is pretty typical for uh, an adult with ADHD because people didn't start thinking about ADHD in adults until sort of the end of the you know, like 2005, 2010, somewhere around there. So pretty recently. Um, and maybe 80% of adults who have ADHD don't know they have it. I mean, they know they have something going on, like the anxiety that your friend had or depression. Those two things are coexisting conditions with ADHD regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but the, the, if you have a kid with ADHD, the chances that one of the parents or both has ADHD is over 50%. It's very hereditary along the lines of like hair color or something that hereditary. So, uh, so that's a pretty common way that people go, Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and then they're like, okay. Um, yeah, ADHD is, and it's called ADHD now officially with subtypes. ADD is now the distractible version where distraction, which is the number one symptom of adult ADHD, is the primary part of the ADHD. So that's ADHD with distractibility. Then there's a, there are adults who have the hyperactivity H part. Um, that's also called ADHD. And then there are people who have a combined type, which has uh, sort of equal amounts of distractibility and hyperactivity. And that's also called ADHD. So uh, it's a little bit confusing uh, versus what people are used to hearing. But uh, it's, it's about neurology, actually. The reason that it's hereditary is it has to do with um, <clears throat> the neurochemistry of the brain. So people who have ADHD have lower than average levels of dopamine in their brain. And, and some lower levels of serotonin, and they have different developmental patterns of their brain. But because they have the low levels of uh, dopamine, um, they have trouble paying attention and also lots of times remembering, taking things from working memory and putting it into long-term memory. They have typically um, executive function issues around planning uh, or and getting distracted. And they often have... Um, uh, dopamine is part of the reward system of the brain. And so it, uh, uh, they have a reward deficiency. If you want to think of it that way, that sounds bad. That's not, it means that their brains seek reward. So when you think of the ADHD, you know, the jokes about squirrel or shiny, you know, those kinds of things. Um, that is about uh, that brain seeking something new and interesting and rewarding. It looks for reward. Um, the downside of that is that there's a higher than uh, average incidence of like substance abuse and things like that. And sometimes you have trouble disconnecting from things that feel very rewarding to your brain uh, and, uh, and going and doing things like chores or something that don't feel at all rewarding. Um, and the same thing in relationships when you're having trouble with your partner Sometimes people with ADHD have particular trouble engaging, even though they know they should, if those interactions feel um, horrible to them, either because they are fearful of them or that triggers shame or other kinds of things, they have trouble doing it. So there's all sorts of complications 
in the relationship um, around how the brain is actually wired and functions. And that, uh, and those come out of the symptoms of ADHD. That's mm -hmm. kind of the backwards way of saying, okay, so ADHD is about distractibility, number one, uh, trouble following through on things that you say you're going to do in part because of distractibility, like, oh, I'm going to go do that. Um, a very sort of present moment focus on um, things that are happening right in the moment um, take your interest more than things you should be doing or things you should be remembering. So it's a very present moment focus. For many, it includes impulsivity. Uh, and, um, and, and there's a lot of stress around, you know, so there are a lot of issues that come out of, uh, of ADHD as a result. Mm -hmm. Now, the, um, and I've, I've heard people talk about, um, you know, that they, when they get distracted and then they just deep dive into something for hours and don't come up for air. And I, like I said, I think that's when been one of the most interesting characteristics to actually understand that that is also a part of this. That again, it, it's not the, it's not the hyperactivity part. It's not the, you know, because that implies that you can't focus on anything, but right. the, the strong component of ADHD, which is you get really focused. Hyper-focused. Yeah. yeah. And actually it's misnamed. So it shouldn't be attention deficit. It should be attention dysregulation hmm. um, because you can focus in when something feels very rewarding, you hyper-focus into it. And you're just lost in the moment. Time management is another issue for people who have ADHD. They have a very fluid relationship with time. Uh, and, and also a lot of emotionality. Uh, I was at the 2019 uh, CHAD International Conference on ADHD and was speaking there. But they also, the keynote speakers, were talking about all the current research, which is about how the ADHD brain creates a ton of emotions and has very poor breaks on those emotions. So if you think of it, Ned Hallowell describes ADHD as having a race car brain with bicycle brakes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of high emotion, in quick triggers, uh, moves into anger or irritability very quickly or overwhelm, uh, and then having trouble regulating those emotions. So it's trouble with regulating attention and also trouble with regulating emotions. Mm -hmm. Which can be complex because that also can happen from a variety of other experiences yes. besides this. Um, so then how do you know if this is an actual biological condition? Um, and, you know, we're talking about brain receptors and things like that, that is hereditary and, and passed down. You know, how is the diagnosis done? How does somebody receive a diagnosis of ADHD? Well, so there are sort of three ways that it gets diagnosed, one of which is actually demonstrated to be accurate through research and two of which are not. <laughs> so uh, sadly, uh, it, it, there is no uh, specific physiological test. Uh, like, you know, if you have cancer, they look at your blood work and all that stuff. There's nothing like that for ADHD. So the best tests are around um, the behaviors and how long you've had them and, and how chronic they are and how extreme they are. Um, so if you're chronically distracted and if you're chronically emotional and if you're, you know, you have these impulsivity where, you know, you're out gambling all the time or you have some, that's not for, not everybody has that part of it, but, you know, they, so they look at your history, they look at uh, your ability to pay attention at will versus sort of as your brain takes you. Um, so the behavioral side is really the way that the research suggests you get an accurate um, diagnosis. Um, there are also neuro neuropsychological exams, 
which actually a fair number of doctors say, go get a neuropsych exam. That has a very high false negative rate, actually. It's not a very good way to get your ADHD diagnosed. Um, and so uh, unfortunately, that's one of those mis, uh, um, misinformation things that's out there for professionals. Uh, and then there are a small group of folks who believe you can take a brain scan and diagnose it that way, and you can't. Uh, again, that's not uh, demonstrated by research uh, to actually uh, be a good diagnostic tool. So, uh, so it is you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist who really understands evaluating ADHD and differentiating it from anxiety, depression, other things that might be going on, PTSD, sleep deprivation, uh, bipolar. There are a number of things that get confused with ADHD. So you really do have to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Interesting. Now, you know, one of the things that we see is that boys tend to get diagnosed at a higher rate than girls. I mean, I've seen that out there before. Is there truth to that? Or um, In school, it, there is. So boys will be more likely to have the hyperactivity as kids. And the hyperactivity is very easy to see. The distractibility is much harder to see. Um, and so as, it, it, as kids, the boys are more likely to get diagnosed. That just means that a lot of girls are out there that aren't getting diagnosed and who would benefit from that happening. Um, when you get to adulthood, 20 to 30% of kids who have ADHD will not carry those uh, symptoms into adulthood in a way that... Um, uh, that they would get diagnosed as adults. Either they compensate well enough or whatever, but the rest of them do. And so there are a lot of adults out there with ADHD who don't know they have it. And, um, and so for adults, distractibility becomes much more the central focus of that diagnosis. And then uh, women get diagnosed almost as regularly as men. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Um, so how did you get into this field to, you know, to kind of start deep diving into this that, you know, led you into writing the, in the book? Backwards. <laughs> <Actually>. <laughs> Backed right uh, into it. I think we all do that at some right point or another. Yeah. Well, you know, so my, I have ADHD. My husband has ADHD and my daughter has ADHD. So we did the typical, she got diagnosed. And actually at the time she got diagnosed, which was, she was nine at the time and she only got diagnosed because she had a math learning disability at the same time. So that was actually what we were picking up. Uh, and nobody told me it was hereditary. I wish they had because it took us many years after that to figure out what was going on in our relationship. But we had this sense, like here we are, we, we thought, why can't we do better than this? All this stuff keeps coming back. I would say to my husband, will you do X for me? And he'd say, sure. And he would totally mean it. And then he would forget about it. And, and I went through all of the classic stuff that I ended up writing about in this book, which was that must mean he doesn't care about me anymore. And, you know, all of, we were completely average when it comes to all of this stuff. So at some point after we had gone from, you know, pretty much almost getting divorced to doing well in the relationship, I said, we've learned a lot through this. There were no uh, after we found out about the ADHD, there were still no resources available really to explore it. And so I said, well, maybe I'll start to blog about this just to share my experiences so that other people don't have to go through it. And I started a website and it took off 
And within not very long, there were like a thousand pages on this website of people writing in their comments and asking questions. And I said, well, this is really disorganized. I need to, if people are gonna learn, I better write a book. So then I wrote a book and the New York Times picked it up and then I was all over the TV. I mean, it just took off. So I got into it backwards. The good news was that I was working at the time um, in my past professional capacity with Ned Hallowell and John Rady, who are two of the very top ADHD doctors. And at the time I was helping them give webinars for therapists, one of which was a 22 week, everything there is to know about adult ADHD for professionals. Um, this was back in 2005. And, um, and so I learned from, you know, the two best guys in the industry just by happenstance, but that's how it works out sometimes. And so that's how I backed into what I do now. And, and now I have, you know, I, I, my, my mission uh, is, to, is to really help people understand what this is about, because once you understand it, you can dramatically improve your life and your relationship and your family. And it's really, it's rewarding for me, but really wonderful to be able to get these resources to people. So Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm not in a relationship and so, you know, I don't want anybody to say, you know, to dismiss this, but it, it, because it is so eye-opening to understand because there are, you know, a number of people that we probably all know that have the diagnosis or maybe have been misdiagnosed or, you know, are, are struggling with some of these things. And we're going to go into, you know, some of the key um, kind of symptoms or ways that we see that this affects relationships. But, you know, when you know, when I know somebody, if somebody shares with me, like, hey, I have ADHD, it sets my expectations totally differently for what, what, our, what our friendship relationship or whatever is going to be like, because I already kind of know, like, okay, I, this person, and again, because of your book and the ways that you describe, you know, what it does, um, it, you know, so, so I don't hear it back from a friend for like four days after they told me they were going to text me this weekend. Oh, well, yeah. I know that they found something, you know, and I, and I don't take it personally, you know, it's like... <laughs> They found something, they, something came up, you know, whatever, yeah. like, you know, and it allows you, you know, uh, to kind of just relax, you know, a little bit if you, yeah. if you choose to, if you want to, if you're like, hey, listen, I accept, you know, that this is something that this person is, you know, challenged with and deals with. And it's not as easy. I think that's the other thing, you know, we tend to in the mental health or just in life in general, you know, when we don't have this thing going on in our own heads, we wonder and get frustrated with other people who do and why they can't just get over it, air quotes for the listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is a very challenging thing for people to deal with. And when I've seen people that know they have it and still struggle with the, you know, the, the, the symptoms of this, um, you know, this condition, it's hard and you, you have to be empathetic and, and you're pretty forgiving of some of the things and kind of, you know, let some of it roll off of your back. And so for anybody reading the book, it's, it's opening and enlightening to understand relationships and what it's like to have a relationship, whatever that's defined as with a person who actually has an ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, and, and, and that's true. And I would say that if you have adult ADHD, you have those symptoms. I mean, the thing that my husband and I kept going through is this doesn't make sense. We can't figure out why we're not doing better because we were both uh, committed to each other. We're both pretty smart people. We both were trying really hard. And, and it just, this stuff kept coming up again and again. And it was so repetitive. And you'd get your hopes up and then something silly would happen and you'd just be going like, what was that, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so that's why we kept pursuing it and we finally nailed it. The ADHD people say, well, it's a little bit like living with a whack-a-mole. 
because something comes up, you smack it, something else comes down, you, you know, and you keep going until you get the diagnosis, at which point you have the, the explanation, you have the empathy, but also you get a whole host of tools that mm -hmm. help you change how you interact with it. You and I had been talking before we got on the program on air that um, about some of these patterns that show up. Once you know these patterns, you can, um, you can respond to each other completely differently and it changes everything. Yeah, and that's a great segue. So let's jump into those because in the book you identify that there's 12 um, ways that a lot of people um, might see ADHD impacting their relationship with their spouse or their partner. Now, I know um, some of these sound like, as we go through them, sound like just relationship problems, regardless if there's an ADHD diagnosis or not, but there is something different about it when there is an ADHD diagnosis. Um, so let's let's go through. Now, you said that of the 12, though, that there's really four that are kind of, or maybe Maybe, you know, a different number that are really the ones that are, are worth really kind of chewing into here. So, um, but start with the symptom response response, if that okay. makes sense to do that, because um, I found in the book, and I know for my friend, that was like the, a big bite that just was like, whoa, like thinking about all of this in that context. And so I'd like you to describe that if you can. Or would, please. I know you can. Yeah, no, that's fine. And actually, I'm going to step back one, one thing because they're totally interrelated and it'll help my example a little bit, which is misinterpretation of ADHD symptoms. Um, because the symptoms, if you have ADHD, you have, by definition, very specific symptoms such as distractibility. And they're chronic, not just like, okay, every once in a while I get distracted. But most of the time, you are easily distracted. And just to use that as an example, if you are the partner of somebody who is chronically distracted, uh, you, your partner is not paying much attention to you because they're chronically distracted. And, and so you interpret that as my partner must not care about me, when in fact, what it means is your, your partner is chronically distracted. I used to say to my husband, oh, you know, I don't think you love me. And he'd look at me with complete confusion what are you talking about? Yeah, of course I love you. And, but my experience was since he was so distractible and never paying attention to me that uh, he didn't care about me. And that would be a correct interpretation if he didn't have ADHD. So this is a good example of knowing, but if I, so from the symptom response, then if you take a symptom like distractibility there is a human, a very human response that um, uh, what I call non-ADHD partner or more organized ADHD partner, call it what you will, if you have two people with ADHD. There's a very human response to that, which is the one that I had, which is when it first shows up. So again, backing up just for one minute, mm -hmm. uh, typically you have a hyper-focused courtship. Uh, in these relationships, which is one of the giveaways actually, is that after that ends, everybody has that regardless of whether there's ADHD or not. But after that ends, you suddenly see the ADHD person without all their dopamine and, and, and it's a different person sort of, you know, suddenly not paying attention to you. So, so I, my husband stopped paying attention to me and I interpreted that. I responded to that symptom first with confusion and then by trying to get his attention, sort of, you know, maybe harassing him a little bit over time, but first trying, you know, nice lingerie, whatever the thing is that everybody goes through and that didn't work. So I was like, okay, there, you know, I'll try hard, a different way. 
And then when I still couldn't get his attention regularly, then I got angry. And that's just simply a human response to that symptom when you don't know what it is. So then when I got angry, then he started to notice it. So his response to my response was to feel very put upon, feel frustrated that I was angry with him and that I was going after him and he got angry. And then it becomes about his anger and my anger. The original cause of it is gone, right? You mm -hmm. just, that's not what you're focused on anymore. So that's a symptom of distractibility, a response that turns into anger and then a response to the response, which is anger. That's the wrong place to be arguing. The place to be dealing with that is at the symptom level and understanding it correctly. And, and so rather than getting into fights all the time and feeling like your partner really doesn't understand you or love you, if you know it's ADHD, you can say, ah, you know what? You're particularly distracted this week and I'm starting to feel a little lonely. Let's go on a date. And you go out and you pay attention to each other, right? And that's a completely different, not only response, but also relationship because you're taking the ADHD into account, you're properly interpreting it, and you're responding in a way that's re that reflects more accurately the fact that you actually do care about each other um, and that there's a symptom that's getting in the way. So there are a lot of these um, sort of symptom response response cycles that you can interrupt only when you know that the ADHD symptom is present. Um, but when you do, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, because I, you know, my experience with people that have had the diagnosis of ADHD is, uh, you know, across multiple friends is there is a there is a degree of shame for them because of that conflict of I want to do better, but I just don't know how. And so then and then to constantly have been derided or shamed for, you know, for the, you know, being accused, like your husband was feeling like, well, of course I love you because those two things aren't connected to him at all. Right. right? Being distracted sure. and love are not, but we, we tend to do that. Uh, you know, you know, you're, you're not paying enough attention to me. We, we make it about ourselves, right. Rather than, you know, their experience and, um, and, and shame kind of, I've seen that with, you know, I've, I've always been the kid that, you know, people like tease because I couldn't focus on anything. And so I I've always feel really terrible about, you know, about this for people that have had to grow up with it because it, 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 because of their symptoms, they have tended to have been subjected to some criticisms of that as if there was a lot of control. And that's why I think this conversation is important is that there are some of these things that are really, even with medication, even with awareness are so deeply a part of the of the wire of the of the brain that it, it just it it can be uncontrollable or you know not as managed not as quickly turned off and on as we would hope you know yeah. or would like and again that's our own ego driving the speed at which we want them to get better you know yeah, or to change for us which is an issue of course uh, I mean actually uh, people who have ADHD if they really take it on um, to manage it often adults can do quite a good job of managing, which doesn't mean they become non-ADHD and that's not the goal. Uh, and, and one of the misconceptions is that medicine is the only tool in the toolbox and it's definitely not. In fact, uh, medication alone isn't a particularly good uh, treatment. I mean, it's one of the more effective treatments in conjunction with other things. But if you just get medicine and get better focused and you don't apply it <laughs> to your life and, and apply the focus to learning the skill sets that you need to learn to remember things or to interact more calmly with your partner or with your business associates or whatever, you're definitely sub-optimizing your direction. Uh, but it, yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's all about these uh, understanding these responses. 
people, people with ADHD who don't know they have it, even if they do, not only do they grow up with actual criticism that they can see as criticism, but they grow up with a lot of well-intentioned adults like teachers and parents and coaches saying things like, if you would just try harder, you would do better. And, and they know how hard they're trying to keep this very disorganized, distracted brain, uh, time management stuff under control. They don't have the tools in place because they don't know about the ADHD. So they know how hard it is to do it. So if somebody says, you just try harder, you'll do better. And it's, just, it's a, huge, a huge criticism. And it's meant to be helpful, but it's not. So a lot of parents who thought they were being supportive of these kids uh, weren't uh, being as supportive as they thought. Um, and so, yes, there's a huge amount of shame. It's easily triggered. One of the things that happens once you know about the ADHD is there's a lot of conversation around um, how quickly a person with ADHD becomes defensive. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll hear non-ADHD partners say, well, I'm not really insulting that person. And I'm saying, okay, so what you just said is, how come you didn't do X? Now, to you, that sounds factual. To the person who's hearing it, who has ADHD, it's yet another, you're substandard, you're not performing, you're no good comment. You have to be careful. This is one of the things you learn about how you're saying things and whether you're saying things, actually, some of the times, um, and both become aware of, the, of this sensitivity, why it's there and why it's reasonable. You know, yeah, actually, you did just criticize the partner when you said, why didn't you do X? Um, and you need to understand that's a criticism within this context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, language, words matter is a phrase that I'll, I'll say quite a bit, especially, again, uh, you know, when you've lived with it and didn't know it, or even if you did know it, and again, well-meaning people saying you know, kind of the wrong things. And, and we learn, right? I mean, that's the great thing about us is we're learning about this. Even neuroscience is developing us new information as we go along with this. And so um, we can forgive ourselves if we've made a mistake, but, you know, we, learning as we go forward is important. So let's then talk about those symptoms in your marriage that you've seen and identified that can actually, when you have a, an ADHD partner and a non-ADHD partner, you know, what, sort of, what are some of the compton, sim, common, sorry, let me stumble here, common symptoms in marriages well, so one of the patterns that I talk a lot about, because when, when people come and find me, they're usually in pretty bad shape. Um, and one of the patterns that's a really problematic is what I call parent-child dynamics. It's not about a ch- an actual child. It's about uh, one of the partners taking on a parenting role, a sort of a over-functioning managing role, and that would be the non-ADD partner. And then one partner ending up in a childlike, has no power, follows instructions or rebels or, you know, childlike role of sort of underfunctioning. And that's directly a result of undermanaged ADHD, where the person like my husband was saying, sure, I'll follow up on it and then not following up on it. Uh, and so they're under underperforming. If you want to think of it, that sounds critical. I don't mean it to sound critical. It's just when you say you're going to do something and then you don't do it that could be described as underperforming. So, um, and it's a very serious problem in a relationship. The status is unequal. There's one person who's in a subservient sort of put down kind of a role. And the other person doesn't want that extra responsibility. It's very stressful. They're always on, they're waiting for the shoe to drop for something bad to happen for the partner, not to, to forget about picking up the kids from daycare or whatever the problem is. 
Um, and, uh, and so they're angry and frustrated that the partner isn't doing more. But if you don't know about the ADHD, there's a reason the partner isn't doing more because they're struggling to, to stay organized enough and focused enough to do it. So mm -hmm. um, that pattern you really, you have to get away from that pattern. And that's one of the very first things when I work with a couple, I will usually start working with them on how do you get the ADHD partner to have the skill set they need and the total support they need to be able to learn the functions that they need to learn and, the, uh, and want to learn, by the way, most of them mm -hmm. would much prefer to be able to do this stuff without having to, you know, explain why they didn't. Uh, and have the other partner back away from managing, uh, bullying, uh, you know, sort of reminding, nagging uh, constantly on their case kind of a situation. So that is something that comes up loud and clear when ADHD is undermanaged and it's not being taken into account. Mm -hmm. And resent it ends up on both sides of that, I, I would yeah. believe. You know, you've got the partner who feels like now they've got to do everything and they resent that role, you know, of being that, like you said, of taking on that extra responsibility and that stress. But I can also see the other side of the coin where the ADHD partner who resents being treated like a child, like, you yeah. know, like, you know, they yeah. want to be able to have decision-making authorities. They want to be able to follow through. They want to be able to have their own choices. But, you know, I can see where one person would slowly just take all of those away and suddenly there's no discussion. It's just like, I've got it. You don't worry about it. And then you've got that imbalance of, you know, feeling mistreatment, feeling on both sides. Yeah. And even I've got it, but you should have it, but you don't have it because you're not competent enough. So I have to do it. You know, mm -hmm. the partners talk about being backed into a corner. If I don't do it, it won't get done. Um, leads them to take on more than they can handle. And it becomes a crisis after you have kids um, mm -hmm. because there's so much stuff there that just has to be attended to. And a lot of it's really boring stuff. It does not trigger that reward-seeking uh, uh, brain in the ADHD partner, you know, and uh, and there's high expectations of partners will partner around childcare, and it becomes a real hot point. And there are other areas as well that are hot points around um, financial dealings with each other, and and chores is another one, and that's one that shows up and gets exacerbated by ADHD quite a bit as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd set that down there. Um, what is it? The chore wars? <laughs> um, are there are there any other um, effects, you know, that are worth bringing up that somebody might need? Because like, like I said, you know, I think in codependent relationships, a parent child imbalance can actually happen. Um, so it's uh, that that may not have an influence of ADHD, that could be some other symptomatic issue that's going on in there. But, you know, what are some of the, you know, what's another one of these symptoms that might seem like it's just a normal couple simple, but it's a symptom, but it's actually like on overdrive when it's dealing with an ADHD couple? Well, there's a, so yeah, again, a lot of these are sort of, there is a continuum and ADHD is sort of out at one extreme and you get a whole bunch of them together impulsivity is another hallmark of ADHD for a lot of people. And so is um, emotional dysregulation. So if you have somebody who is very easily triggered into a rage or very easily triggered into overwhelm, um, because you can imagine, so people describe what their brain feels like when they have ADHD as like a popcorn brain or the library of Congress with no card catalog, you know, lots of stuff in there and you can't organize it at all or find it. Uh, and, uh, and they don't have the sort of, like, I have a lot of filters 
that keeps stuff that's sort of not high priority out of coming into my mind at the time when I'm focused on something. They don't have those filters. So I could, if I had ADHD and I was talking to you and a dog barked, my brain would listen to the dog as likely as it would listen to you. So it gets very easily overwhelmed. Um, and so there's this sort of shutdown that you see. So when you start seeing sort of a pile on of codependent behavior, impulsivity, emotional dysregulation, uh, potentially coexisting conditions like anxiety or depression or uh, uh, substance abuse or gambling or something like that, then you start to go, okay, wait, there's, you know, this is bigger than just uh, one or two things. And it often is the ADHD unmanaged, undiagnosed, untreated. Once it's managed, a lot of this stuff can go away. Mm -hmm. Well, so then let's talk about that. Um, for couples who maybe they're listening to the show, somebody's realizing that maybe that's something that they need to explore is, is whether or not they've got, you know, the specter of an undiagnosed ADHD in the relationship here. Once they've got that information, you know, how does a couple go back? Because, you know, it, years of this festering, can certainly, you know, point to the end, um, you know, for some couples, yeah. it depends on them, right? And their, yeah. their intent to salvage it and to do the work on that. So what are some of the strategies that you work with with couples on rebuilding that want to be able to do this? Well, I think, first of all, it's really important that they both want to do the work. Um, you know, I like to tell people it's not ADHD that causes divorce, it's denial that causes divorce because the ADHD and responses to ADHD, again, in that symptom response response, can really be worked on and improved and, and you can find a happy, loving, caring relationship in there, but with work. Mm -hmm. um, so if either partner, if the non-ADHD partner says, you know, my anger is justified and you're, you know, you don't deserve to be my partner and I'm not gonna take on my own anger and frustration, that's just as relationship killing as if the ADHD partner says, no, it really doesn't matter. You know, my ADHD doesn't matter. It's not the ADHD. It's your anger. You know, if they're blaming each other, then it's not going to go anywhere. But once they both get on board, there's a lot of education. There are, there are specific things to teach people, like how do you respond in a symptom response response situation, like the version, you know, the example I gave you. There are a lot of those different things. You, I, I teach couples a lot of verbal cues and things so that they can alert each other to what's going on inside the other person. They're very different from each other. Their brains function very differently. They have a lot of learning to do about what the ADHD is all about. And, um, and then the ADHD partner will figure out what his or her target symptoms are that are like the key things they need to change to make the relationship and their lives work better. So for some couples, it might be these anger, emotional dysregulation issues. For other couples, it might be impulsivity, which is impacting their ability to trust each other or trust the, you know, the non-ADD partner to trust the ADD partner. For some couples, it's gonna be distractibility or organizational skills or whatever, because ADHD shows up you have all these same symptoms, but it'll show up in different combinations for different people. And once you set those target symptoms, then you choose the tools that are known to work with those specific target symptoms. Um, and, and then you just start learning them and, and practicing them together 
Um, while, you know, so that's the ADHD side of it. And the non-ADHD side of it is learning how to back out of that parenting role, learning how to manage the anger and step away from the anger. I mean, anger in itself isn't bad. It's just a flag that says something's going on, pay attention, you know? And, uh, and so it's not, the goal isn't to get rid of anger per se. The goal is to have anger be appropriate to the situation rather than a chronic stressful shortening your life type of anger. Right. Right. Um, you know, I imagine that in a relationship, um, when you have a non ADHD partner, and I, I don't want to generalize this and say that, you know, this, this doesn't work across the board for everybody, but, you know, because of the, the distractibility of the ADHD person and their, and their tendency to go and do things and kind of isolate a little bit, because distraction sometimes means you're, you're isolating yourself from, you know, you could be throwing yourself into maybe a group with other people because your dopamine's going, but you're isolating yourself from your partner. Yeah. But this could be a really difficult dynamic for a person without ADHD who is wired to want much more constant engagement in order for, you know, to, to address their emotional needs. And, you know, we all, we all have our experiences that make us either, you know, a person that um, loves to engage more with people and some of us, uh, you know, are, are okay being a little bit more independent and a little bit more on our own, um, more proactive and reactive, you know, kind of a thing. And um, I can imagine with this, with an ADHD partner, you have to have a little bit of your own thing going on because if you're trying to too much to get the ADHD partner to turn around and start to, you know, focus is important and communication. I like your example of, I see that we're doing this, but we need to make intention to communicate. But for the most part, you're going to have to be okay that with the fact that that distractibility is going to come in, you know, and not at a predictable time, you know, even after work and stuff, we all suffer from that, right? We all do our work yeah. and we all, and then we backslide every once in a while, <laughs> regardless, because we're human. Um, is that, a, is that a true assessment? I mean, is that, you know, are there some people that will do better together? Um, if this is a part of the dynamic of the relationship and some people that, um, because we can't change people, right? Like that's one of the right. things that we deal with in relationships is, well, maybe if I work really hard on them, they'll get to be what I need them to be. And this is a, a challenging condition in a relationship that is more than just, you know, um, getting them to put the toilet lid down, you know, or, yeah do the dishes kind of a I thing. I think so, you know, so my thought about marriage in general is that you don't get married unless you want to have a deep or or emotionally satisfying relationship with that person. So it's not I don't believe that if you're in a situation where you just don't feel like you have the affection you need or the love you need from your partner once you know what's going on, how to interpret what's going on, etc. um then that's probably not the right relationship for you. But uh, I do also think that particularly with ADHD and the issues around focus, that a person needs to understand what are the two or three things that are completely critical to me for my relationship that I must absolutely positively have. So, I'll, you know, we start out and you start out with the chore wars and all these things that are around tasks, but typically those two or three things are actually around enough affection so that I know that I am loved and I am confident of that. Uh, honesty or trustworthiness, which is another topic uh, about, you know, where ADHD doesn't fit into the typical trustworthiness uh, equations. Uh, and we could talk about that another time. Uh, but uh, honesty, those kinds of things, where there are a few things that aren't chore related. 
And so in my own relationship, the things that we focus on the most are making sure we have enough time for each other, which you might have to schedule if you have an ADHD person or set aside a routine. At one point in our relationship, my husband and I were driving our son downtown to Boston and we were sort of doing it as a chore. And then we went, wait, we can both go down to Boston every Saturday afternoon and spend three or four hours together on a kind of a date. Let's do it. And so we set aside the time not knowing what we would be doing. And we'd get to Boston, we'd drop him off, we'd open up the computer and go, what's going on today? Oh, okay, let's go do this. Which was the perfect, it was like, you set it so the non-ADHD partner knows the schedule and then you don't set exactly what you're gonna do so that it's fun and immediate and you know, sort of impulsive, which satisfies everybody. Mm-hmm. So you set these little routines and these connection points and et cetera, so that you know you get that. And if you don't have that, I personally believe you have to get it. You can't get there until you understand the ADHD and until you get the parent-child dynamics out of the way so that you have equal status and can feel like partners and feel romantic towards each other. So there's a lot of stuff you have to write to write the ship. But um, if you can't get to that place where you know you are well-loved, then it may not be the right relationship for you. Yes, my partner is more distracted than maybe other partners might be, but actually he's pretty much learned how to pay attention to me as I need it. You know, you have to have enough love to know you are loved and mm-hmm. so that works. But do yeah. I expect him to remember everything? No, you know, <laughs> and it's just cause I don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a good point there too. Um, you know, of, it's really, it will come back down to you and what you need and, and having a good sense of what that actually is. And, and I can imagine, you know, early on with a hyper-focused courtship, you know, it can be a little, uh, you know, it can be a little misleading. I mean, again, you're right. We're all guilty of it. When you go into dating, everybody's on their best behavior and nobody wants to see the warts and all that other stuff. So it's not an, an unusual thing, but um, you know, if you are missing some of that, um, those signals and you're in not able to get back on track there, you know, early. I think that that's, um, I think that's good, but you're right. You know, if you're going to go and decide to get into marriage, you know, you, you ideally are making that commitment that this is something that we both care about this deep relationship with each other um, because you've already established what your values are with one another and what, you know, you, you have a sense of what it is that you do need, even if they've changed because of the the changing dynamic of, of the ADHD. Um, Now you have these two books and then you have some other resources. So let's let everybody know what they can get, um, you know, after the show, following up with you and what other things that you can provide for people that might be again, looking for some assistance in this area. Um, So I have a website, a very active website, ADHDmarriage.com. And uh, I try to provide what people are looking for. I do a blog there. um, And, uh, but I think probably one of the most useful resources that I have for couples is actually my couples seminar, which I give live several times a year by conference call. So you can take it anywhere. Uh, And I record it. So if you miss a session or whatever, you can, you can keep up. Um, That is really transformative for a lot of couples. I take people through sort of the order that they need to go through to get from this place of denial through to how do we fix things up to then talking about some of the more romantic, intimate areas at the end where they may or may not be ready for them, but at least they've got them there. Um, And I have non-ADHD partner support groups that I offer, and there's some ADHD partner support, and I have a lot of information there's a treatment ebook that talks about the breadth of treatment. Um, so a lot of doctors think about medication, but as I said, that's one very small 
part of it. So I have a sort of conceptual map, if you want to think of it that way, about treatment. So a lot of resources. It's very tightly focused in on, on um, adult relationships and ADHD. And I think, um, not to brag, but I think it's probably the best resource out there for folks. And they can also contact me uh, mm-hmm. uh, through that website. And I try very hard to email everybody back. I'm a little behind right now, but I catch back up. <laughs> coronavirus is making everybody really putting a lot of stress on relationships. And so I've had a lot more traffic oh, yeah. uh, even uh, with this than I normally do. So, yeah, I can imagine that. And the links to everything will be in the podcast notes for everybody that's listening here. And, uh, and also links to the books that you have that are available there. Um, I might agree with your statement that you're really good at this because you might not have won these awards if you weren't onto oh, something here and doing something really amazing. So um, well, Melissa, I really appreciate you and taking the time to, to do this conversation with me and talking about this. I think this will be really enlightening for a lot of people that uh, don't realize that maybe some of what their, their challenges are in their relationships may be to, you know, uh, the lack of a diagnosis or the diagnosis, but not really understanding the breadth of its complexities and how it can actually, you know, start to, you know, worm its way into, you know, our relationship and our connection with a, you know, with each other and stuff. And so, um, you know, this is, this is really good stuff and I appreciate what you're doing and, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. I I will say is that if you have adult ADHD, the chances of it impacting your relationship are very high. So don't just say, oh, well, no, it doesn't matter. But the good news is once you start to learn about it, the chances of you being able to improve things are even higher. So it is, uh, it's, it's a really great area to know about. And I do hope that anybody who considers that it might be an issue, would it come and ask some questions and I can send them in the direction of resources and stuff, which I love to do. I love to help couples out that way. Awesome. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you for having me. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquirconi.com, and there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kirkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.